0: This podcast
1: is shareable. I'm going to go out on a limb and say this either is or will become your favorite podcast. This is shareable. The show that's so good, you got to tell someone about it. Every episode, we explore the impact of people and technology on our lives and careers, and we send you away with something shareable. Now, without further ado, let's get to it.
2: So in 2008, I was one of sports original social media reporters when I became the first social media coordinator for the PGA Tour. In two weeks on the job, I got to tell one of the biggest tournaments on the PGA Tour schedule, the Players' Championship, about this thing called Twitter that they were trying to use, uh, or I thought that we could use to make us seem, you know, reach millennials and seem hip and edgy uh, as golf entered the social media age. And my job then during the Players' Championship tournament was eight days of learning how to tell stories on a golf course on a thing called Twitter. And that's really how I got introduced to both using social media for business and started my career as the PGA Tour's voice on social media. Hi, I'm Lauren Teague and I'm now a strategist at Convince and Convert, a mom of three kids and still an avid golf fan with a slightly higher handicap than I used to have.
1: Welcome to Shareable. Lauren, it's so great to have you on the show. Uh, We got to hang out. It's kind of cool. You're one of the people that I met in real life first before we got to hang out digitally. Yeah, isn't that crazy? Major milestone for both of us, both working on social media. And yet our first interaction, I believe our first interaction ever was at that hockey game in Toronto.
2: Right. It definitely was. Or somewhere in the planning of said hockey game in Toronto. But Yeah. I um, think it
1: might have been during Facebook. You know what? Maybe that's true. We probably did start on digital because there was a little bit of coordination that needed to take place.
2: Right. Yeah. I had to buy tickets. But yes, it was essentially our friendship. Our relationship started when we uh, met up in Toronto and we were both there for an event. And I am a converted hockey fan. My husband loves hockey. So, um, when he found out I was going to Toronto and it was preseason, he's like, you got to go to a game. So, um, luckily there's a handful of, uh, you guys that also big hockey fans. And we had a great time. I mean, being in the Mecca of something like that. I mean, it doesn't matter what you love, if it's sports or music or chess, like if you get to go to a place where like that is truly in the fabric of the community, then the experience just takes it to a whole nother level.
1: And hundred percent agree. And not only that, but I I think I told you this, but you helped me to fulfill an item on my bucket list because I am, despite growing up in New York and living in Philadelphia, I am a Toronto Maple Leafs fan and I have always wanted to go and see a game in Toronto. And it was, even though it was preseason, it's still like I had chills the whole time watching it. It was so awesome. And was it your idea to get that whole thing set up?
2: Oh, yeah. I actually know a guy on the team that um, they were playing. So they were playing the Sabres and one of the players now on the Sabres, I did some, like long story short, we did some NHL takeovers during the FedEx Cup playoffs um, when I was at the PGA Tour a couple seasons. And so some of those players I've kept in contact with that I was out on the golf course with, like walking around and watching Tiger and Ricky and and those guys. So Stay in touch with them if I have a chance. Like we just happen to be in the same city. So I was like, hey I rude. I'm gonna come watch you guys play. So that's kind of the impetus of like I always I don't know about you, but as a sports fan, um and a music lover and stuff, like when I get a new gig or I get a new trip, I immediately cross reference it with like sports schedules and um and like bands in town. Like immediately because I'm I'm such an experienced junkie that I want to see like what else I can do in that time. And if I can do it with friends or new friends, that's that's like the mecca for me. And so, and I think that probably speaks to why um, I've gravitated to social media and I love social media so much because every day it's a new experience. Every day you're creating a new community. So like that's, that's just kind of how I roll.
1: <laughs> that's awesome. And, and I want to talk to you a little bit about that because you and I have been in this business of social media for about the same length of time. you're probably far more active and current than I am, just because, you know, working uh, at Convince and Convert, I'd imagine that's kind of an imperative. Um, Whereas, you know, the stuff that we kind of do, it's still very high level strategy, it's less practitionership, and it's more, um, you know, high level strategy stuff. And I know you do a lot of that high level strategy stuff, too. but I'm curious about your hands on experience these days. What type of sites are you, like, what of the social channels are you actually using? Because I personally, in my personal life, have kind of pulled back from social where I still use it professionally. Personally, I've kind of deleted a lot of the apps off my phone and I don't pay as much attention. Curious how you've been involved in social uh, after, you know, uh, what, a decade in the business?
2: Yeah, I started at the PGA Tour in 2008. So it'll be actually like 11 years this week. Um, I think next week is master's week. So as we're recording this, so um, 11 years in uh, April was when I started at the PGA Tour. And I actually got that job because I had experience with social media, um, in its infancy, right? Like I was in college when Facebook was open just to colleges. So I had Facebook, like maybe 2005. And then I got a MySpace page, which is so backwards from, if you think about where that in that time. Um, so I went Facebook, MySpace in 2007, I jumped on Twitter, um, because I was looking for ways to connect with people and also figure out how to do PR, which was one of my degrees. Um, in the real world, in my first job. So that's how I got introduced to Twitter. Um, I was a broadcasting student just before YouTube launched, so I just missed that boat um, a little bit. But that's kind of how I started, and I came young and cheap to the PGA Tour with some experience in building communities and building communities for, or online communities for um, networks we wanted to create. So uh, that's how I got there. Now these days, though, I mean, my work-life balance is... So there is no, like, it's all blended. There's not really a balance. It's just work-life blend. Um, So I tend to reset my phone and the apps that are on my phone based on, like, where I'm going. So I went to South by this year. Um, On the way down to South by, I actually, like, reconfigured my whole home screen display on my iPhone. And I will tell you, I put Twitter in the home bar. I always wanted to know what Twitter was. Because even though I'm not in it necessarily day-to-day as much as I used to be, um, when you get on site at an event, if you're trying to follow an event, whether there or from afar, live sports, live news, anything like that, like Twitter is still the place to be. Um, so I actually put that on my home bar. But day to day, I probably use Facebook a little bit too much because I like to see people you know, pictures of my friends' kids, but also more because I'm really tied into the groups. So I'm tied into a mommy group. I'm tied into some speaking groups. I'm tied into, we have a group for Convince & Convert that we share um, updates together on. And uh, I have groups for my kids' childcare so I can see pictures of them through the day. So I find myself getting back to Facebook. i am been using Instagram a whole lot more and Snapchat a whole lot less. Uh, I use TikTok every once in a while when I'm working on a new talk. Interesting. Um, mostly because I can kind of bridge that gap and tell people about TikTok. Um, I think I have exactly one TikTok video, um, on, I'm definitely what they call like a passive, like I'm a consumer of all the media. I don't publish maybe as much as, um, people might think that I do, but, um, yeah. So like on my home screen right now, Twitter, Instagram, Instagram. Within one touch, I can get to Snapchat and Facebook. I've been opening Reddit more. I think Reddit's really interesting. I have kids' birthday parties coming up, so I've been on Pinterest. Like It's just kind of this buffet to me, Um, social media is, where I can really pick and choose based on what I need, what I'm looking for. But you asked, like, am I in it day-to-day because of my job? I absolutely am in it day-to-day for my job. And I'm in looking at my clients' metrics, and we're looking at what's happening because... We do the really high level strategy stuff, but we also break it down and we're writing these amazing playbooks for our clients that literally say, like, if you're doing paid social, here's how you set up testing. Here's how you set up ad groups to do that. If you're using, you know, Messenger or WhatsApp, here's how to do that chatbot, right? And and the, and the tools you have to use. So I feel like I do stay pretty close to it because... Um, you know, even if I don't need to do it day to day or use it, uh, I'm going to need to teach somebody how to do that. So I want to make sure, um, that I'm on, on track with that.
1: Yeah, that's, um, that's, I, I remember being a little bit like that at one point and I definitely have retreated a lot, you know, in my world, I, I got, uh, my agency got acquired and I've been spending a lot of time working on the business rather than in the business. So a lot of the actual hands-on work is being handled by other people and I'm spending more time working on the business. So I'm I'm really interested to get your takes on things because I feel like you're a lot closer to what was like our shared industry for a while. And I've been a little Mm -hmm. more detached. So um, I think this is actually a nice segue into the first thing I want to ask you about, which I think you kind of set up really nicely, but but what's good about social media in 2019? If you look at it, what's good about it? Because as you can imagine, my next question is going to be the opposite. So what's good about it right now?
2: Oh, you can't see me, but I'm kind of squinting and covering my eyes and trying to really think um, about like an example or whatnot. But I think what I always come back to and what brings me back to it is that social media at its core is a place to connect and build relationship in a way that has not, we've never really been able to do that on such a scale before. And so if you pull away the haters and the trolls and the spam and the crap marketing and all of those things. I think these platforms at a core allow us to build community with the people that are most like us and have the most to teach us. Um, and so whether or not you're open to that um, is another thing, but, and then whether or not you use it for good, but certainly I think there are still are more people using social media for good than otherwise, and um, and I still think that there's just a crazy amount of community and um, relationship building that happens here. We're so much more exposed to things outside of like our neighborhood, our our small town, or our large town um and we you know whether it's stories from across the globe or stories that emerge from our backyard we we're seeing increases in fundraising and like the advent of gofundme's to help people and um, we're seeing things uh, like just things that we can enjoy like sports and um and content really being coming to us in a way that's never been before. So when i think about what's good in social media i think at the core just being able to connect to people in a way that we've never been able to connect in in the power to use that for good is there um that's what i still really really love about it.
1: And then when you take that and kind of pivot the question from kind of at the the highest level, like not more generally speaking, what's good about social and you pivot that to what's good about social for brands. Does that answer change at all? Because you know, when you think about brands connecting with people, it's, it seems to me that the trend is less that brands are connecting with people and more brands are just trying to be clever and interesting and creating content that they broadcast. So they haven't really necessarily embraced what makes the medium different, but, um, the, the opportunity might still be there. If you were to look at it from what makes social media good for a brand, how would your answer maybe deviate or change or, or, or what additions?
2: That's a, that's a good question. I actually have been thinking about this a lot because, um, I mean from the world of sports, I d- never thought of us as, as what I did was B2B or B2C or, or anything like that. Because even though like specifically golf, but in, even in all professional sports, there's certainly a B2B element, right? You're selling to people who want to use your space for hospitality and, and things like that. And you're selling kind of on-site experiences and a, and a way to be affiliated for brands. Um, but there was also that huge B2C play. And I realized in that time that 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 relationship building is the most important part. That like wherever, wherever we can make a connection with someone online, we wanted to just work to deepen that connection. Wherever wherever we could. So we called it making a fan, a better fan, deepening fandom. And I think that works too for B2B and B2C and and anyone who has a business, anyone who has a service, um, or trying to, to sell or raise money or, 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 do good in the world. So, um, you know, again, social media allows us to make those connections and our brands on a whole doing that very well. Probably not most of them. Probably most of them are looking at social media still as, you know, free advertisement and a way to, to broaden their reach. And like you said, distribute crappy content or even decent content. Um, But I think you are seeing even brands that, that use it as an advertising medium. Take Starbucks. Starbucks, has done a really nice job of, of leveraging the community aspect um both on their own properties so like the the Starbucks um community that they have on their own platforms that you can go in and, and make suggestions and that's how we got things like free Wi-Fi and free coffee refills. Um, but Starbucks has also created other communities. So I'm in one because I was interested and it's called the Leaf Rakers group on Facebook. And we, Fraker Society, um, is 27,000 people who have an affinity for pumpkin spice or Starbucks, right? All things pumpkin spice and Starbucks. And Starbucks isn't administrating the group. They've got a ton of their baristas and their employees in there talking to people, Um, but mostly it's people who are talking to each other and creating community mostly around coffee or their shared interest of coffee. So there's a way I think to do both, right? You can use social as a distribution platform for your content in your marketing, but if you're not in it to, as a whole, if you're not measuring community um, and, and the lift that you get in, and how people feel, you know, the affinity metrics as well as the engagement metrics, then I think that you're missing a big opportunity to, to do something better with this platform than we could do with say TV. Yeah.
1: And I agree. I think, you know, the the value that I'm currently seeing most out of social media are the tight knit private communities more so than anywhere else. I think mm-hmm. there, and it might, it's probably not just me, but I feel like there's a general waning of hot interest in the news feeds. It's more that we have this kind of habitual, um, you know finger scrolling on our device habit that just kills time in between things but we're very mindlessly scrolling as we do these things so some of the luster has worn off in that but i think the place where we still are seeing that real excitement in 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 the opportunities for connection do happen in those tight knit groups and i i for one would like to see more of what you just kind of talked about with Starbucks creating these communities because then they're creating the conditions it's sort of like a petri dish that they're letting the cultures grow of people talking about things that are important and relevant that they can kind of peek in on maybe you know advocate uh, certain topics or, or get answers to things in real time of what they're what they're looking to potentially make in changes in their business but i see few and far between businesses that are thinking like that because uh-huh. it's so roi focused which makes sense your business you got to make money but um, i think that the incentive structure in what we've done, not what we, but like what the platforms have done with social towards the push towards advertising has made it where advertising is the smarter strategy in in many cases. But I want to take that and kind of turn then to the antithesis of it and get your take on what's bad about social media right now. Because I'm sure when you started doing this thing called Twitter for the PGA Tour, there was a magic back in that time. I don't know if you remember when I close my eyes and I think about, you know, 2008 to 2010 social media, like my heart just gets warm. I'm like, oh, <laughs> the people and the people that you meet and the niceness and the vulnerability. And wasn't it just sprinkles and rainbows? So I look back to that and I, I now look forward to the way that I think about just going into any comment section, except maybe Reddit. It's funny in Reddit. But everywhere else, you go into the comment section and you come out feeling like you're covered in just garbage. You're just covered in this sludgy, nastiness. What's your take on the current state of what's wrong and bad in social media right now?
2: I mean, we could have a whole podcast on, on the things that we would like to see better, right? I mean, it's and, our
1: podcast. We can do whatever we want here. I, <clears throat> right. I, and, but I,
2: I feel like we'd walk away with it feeling all those things that you just, you just mentioned, right? Like dirty and sludgy and and just bummed out for the rest of the I day. I won't
1: let us go too far down that route. All right.
2: Um, but certainly, you know, you can look at it from like marketers took it over, right? Marketers saw an opportunity and they took what was, you know, built as a community platform first or a way to connect in, and turned it into a sales channel. Um, you know, those early days of, of Twitter, especially, right? You, every Friday, there was, you know, hashtag follow Friday or hashtag FF. And you you called out people that you liked, that you respected, that you thought other people um, should, you know, were worth a follow. But when's the last time you or I actually posted a follow Friday to, to promote people that were doing good or, or from things in this, in the platform. And even beyond that, um, I remember when it wasn't just follow Friday, but like every time, every day you'd say like, Hey, to my new followers at Jeff Gibbard and at, you know, like on all of these things and you would just list them out and you'd be like, Hey, I'm here. I'm a real person and I can do this. And we surely don't do that anymore. Um, in, the, in the same way in scale. So just in a, like, in a decorum fashion, um, I think the the decorum and the etiquette of social media is, has gone far, far away from what it was, you know, seven to 10 years ago. Um, I also think that the platforms themselves have to shoulder the blame of allowing uh, so much hate and uh, spam and the things that we know because it's the internet are going to appear, but just doing that. And it's interesting that just recently, we're seeing, quote unquote, more calls for regulation, more um, even from the platform founders themselves to say, like, maybe we do need to do this. And whether it's on our terms or the government's terms or the world's terms, but we need to be more responsible with how people are using our platform. And, you know, everything from what the truth is um, to uh, to how you really connect in, 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 foster those relationships. So I I truly think that there is probably more um it's more e- easy to pick out the the some of the bad and the negative um and certainly like you said the comment sections whether it's your local community groups or on a brand um and I think there's probably just too much of a a, a feeling of trying to be everything all at once in all of the places. Um, so I really you know, when we're thinking about clients, we're thinking about who are the audiences that re- they are really, really trying to reach. And we're also thinking about who on their team, um, who's actually doing this, um, who's being the community manager, who's creating the content, because those those things have to be taken at scale, right? You can't expect a team of one or five to be managing Five channels and doing community management, customer service, content creation, content production, you know, and just like keeping everything up and running at at the scale of trying to compete with you know, the biggest brands in the world. So, um, I always look at it from a people's side, like who's, who are the audiences? So you can understand where they need to play and who's on your team, like who's actually tasked with this because you have to respect, you know, what they're doing, um, and what they can really do, where they can put their best foot forward, then pick the channels that you really want to play in because you can it's okay just to be in one social network or two social networks. And truthfully, if you're a business and you want to be on Instagram, you also kind of have to be on Facebook because they're so interconnected now. But like I'm launching a new podcast with my friend and we talked about like what channels do we really want to be on? It's just her and I managing this. We know that the goal is to create a community. So, but we really wanted to be on Instagram because of how Instagram set up. Now we have a Facebook page. We don't care about the Facebook page. We really want the group. Um, that goes back to like, what you said, like that small community is, is key. That private community and that private network is key. So, you know, we could be on Twitter, we could be on Pinterest, we could be on Tumblr and we could be doing all of these things, but we're really focused on where like what we can manage and where we can play and, and see the most um, what aligns most with the goals for for what our new podcast and what our new brand is going to look like. So I think that's a that's a very easy filter to apply. Whether you are a business and team of one, or you are, you know, one of the world's largest brands, you know, where we talk to those people too and say like, you don't have to be everywhere at once. If you're not going to invest in the team, if you're not going to invest in the resources and truthfully, you're not going to invest in the budget that the advertising budget budget that augments organic social and organic community management, because without that, you're just not going to see the full return.
1: Yeah. And I think specifically when we, I think you kind of brought up a lot of things here that tie together really nicely. So when you look at the brand perspective and the investment that they might make in managing all of these channels, they might take on too many, which means the people they have are too stretched thin, which means that they don't have the time to kind of build up any reserves of emotional uh, intelligence or emotional investment into things, which is really what you need, that empathy and that ability to connect with people. That's what you know, the, the kind of core of social has always been about and what many brands miss out on. And then what by doing that, they essentially force themselves into a position where they become broadcasters or they do a really crappy job across multiple platforms, which muddies up the platform, which gives the platform a lot more noise, which then further degrades the experience so that you're you're basically just dealing with marketer shouting. So there, there is this kind of, I, I think what it points to is that the incentive structure of the platforms is probably not ideal for uh, encouraging the right type of behavior. Uh, Interestingly, you also brought up the the whole regulation and these companies kind of self-regulating. I've listened to a lot of really interesting talks on that about how when the fact that they're doing it and offering to participate in the creation of these guidelines and regulations helps them to establish this kind of anti-competitive position where they can really help to cultivate the laws and rules and regulations to help kind of block out smaller upstart competitors. Um, So that's one of the things that I've heard a lot about. And I think it's particularly interesting where I come in on where I think the solution is in correcting some of the stuff that's quote unquote bad on social um, is I think we have a problem with amplification. I think virality is something that we should talk more about because we talk about virality generally in its most positive forms about like going viral, quote unquote, becoming famous, getting on Ellen, all that stuff. But we rarely talk about the, the kind of uglier side and probably the more substantially impactful side of virality, which is negative or misinformation or horrible things spreading, and that these platforms are tailored towards uh, bringing attention to things that already have attention, and that the things that get attention are typically the things that have the most controversy or or like an edge to it. Uh, so I think that's some of the things that that I would like to see corrected. I'm curious as we, I want to pivot from this and talk a little bit about organic social and what your take is on that, because a lot of, a lot of these things are kind of really, really tightly tied together. So advertising, organic social, a lot of our clients, we don't even recommend that they care too, too much about organic social anymore. Like unless they're willing to invest the time and energy to kind of, to your point, to finding that person inside the company, who's managing that community and and putting out that time and energy and, 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 you know, emotional energy. We're just like, just do ads. They're measurable. They're straightforward. You can control the message. You can take them down, all that sort of stuff. What's your, what are your thoughts? You know, you, you work with Jay Baer and the the rest of the amazing team at Convince and Convert. I'm sure you guys talk about all these things all the time. What's your take on what's happening with organic social media? And is it even worth it anymore for brands to even worry about that?
2: Well, uh, I, I would like to champion organic, um, mostly because we know that, um, like content in, in, organic social, like having a content marketing strategy, then social becomes a distribution channel, which is great. And so I think that you have to have kind of both, but you have to, it, for us, it always remains rooted in what your content look like and what your brand look like in doing. So whether it's content marketing, social media, or word of mouth, it kind of all ties back to what's the brand willing to invest and willing to do, whether it's in resources to make great content, whether it's in um, resources to manage communities and and grow them that way, or um, whether it's, you know, putting resources towards, Creating some remarkable and repeatable experiences for all of your customers, like Talk Triggers. So, um, I would like to say organic's not dead there, but we talk to so many people, and I'm sure you do too, that are like, hey, how come I only get 2% reach on my Facebook page? Like, that's crap. And, like, yeah, of course it's crap. Well, social media hasn't been free. For years, right, five, six, seven years. Once they really all went public and, and needed to report to shareholders, um, not only did they incentivize the platforms, the things in the newsfeed, the the types of content that keep people on the platform and keep people engaged for longer, such as video, but you know, then they also need to be creating. Revenue that gets distributed to their shareholders and keeps their stock prices high. So they're they're more focused on the paid the paid side of this, and so we have to be too as brands and businesses be aware of you know that you do need both sides. So um, we look at you know the the paid side is really where your advertising messages get crafted and where you said like you can control that story, you can tell that story, you can put it up, you can take it down, but the thing about social is that people can still engage on those paid messages and that still lives there. So, one client I'm working with, um, they do incredible marketing uh, efforts and they run um, hundreds of programs across uh, communities across the United States. So, in their Facebook marketing, not only are they looking at what's happening on their organic page, um, on their Facebook page, and looking, but they're looking at all of the comments being left in the uh, the ads for all of these different communities, right? So they're really in tune to what any specific, any individual person is saying on any specific ad and they want to be in and responding to it as soon as they can, which I think then speaks to like, even if it's paid, even if it's organic, there are still people on the other end. And so you need to be uh, expecting, or it's important to be expecting that and important to still have a commitment to, Um, to do that. If not, go run ads on TV, go run ads on podcasts, and that kind of thing. If you don't want to be in some way, shape, or form engaged with the people that could be talking about your brand, could be celebrating your products, could be talking about their experiences with with your service, then this is not the place for you. And certainly then organic or paid, not going to help you. But would I like to see more people think about organic? Yes. Would I like to see more people think about you know, building community and community management as an extension of their organic? Yes, because if you just post a video series, like a two-week video series on your page and expect it to do anything, you're just not gonna see the returns as if you say, okay, I produced a two-week, you know, video for two weeks and a whole series of content. And I want to put it on my Facebook page. My next question is what else are you going to do with it? And also what are you expecting it to happen? Because you probably need to use that video in your email cadence. You need to use that video. Um, and and put it into youtube or promote it or break those videos down into something that you can use as a pre-roll or an ad. So it's not just about like kind of where the content goes. I'm just going to create this thing and it's just going to go to facebook. But when you're thinking on a brand level, it's what do I want what do I expect to get or what do I want to get because of this content? What do I, what actions do I want that audience to take? And then where's the best way to distribute it cuz just one, you know, one week or two weeks on a Facebook page without any additional promotion might do okay, but it's not going to give you the return that you could get if you thought about distributing that um, in a lot of different ways and putting some budget behind it.
1: It's so interesting that um, that it's such an uphill climb. Given that when social kind of came out and became a thing, and we started talking about it for business. That all of the conversations were, they were pretty kumbaya in the early days. And sure. I miss that. But it, like the whole thing was around community and connection and relationships and all of these things that require businesses to think about the way that they interact with their customers in a completely different way. And yet here we are, it's 2019, and we have basically turned all of this into a broadcast mechanism with a lot of advertising and advertising that is, consistently trying to become, look less and less like advertising. Um, it, it's just such an interesting thing that the narrative was hijacked and that the entire value of the platform just went right along with it. That these platforms basically were like, oh, that's that thing that makes us different? Oh, yeah, let's completely sell that out. <laughs> it, it's interesting that that happened. I'm uh, I'm curious what your thoughts are on things like uh, native advertising or the um, the, the kind of policies and procedures that they put in place on a lot of these advertisements to try and make them look more like organic content while at the same time making organic content harder and harder to use as, as a, uh, tool for, for achieving reach and for ultimately getting leads and sales and things like that. What are your thoughts on, on some of the uh, things that have come out recently, more recently that are a little bit tougher to tell the difference between organic and paid?
2: Yeah, um, well, I'm glad I studied up on this because I listened last week to your conversation with Melody, with Melanie and awesome. it was all brand journalism versus native advertising. So um, hopefully, if someone's listening to this and hasn't listened to that, um, cue that one up next because you guys had a great conversation. Um, much along these lines, uh, I think I honestly think that native advertising and uh, content content partnerships work really well for people who have a story to tell or want to be involved in a message that they don't necessarily have the, the time, resources, or know how, how to produce. And I think that that's really where... Um, that works. And I remember when I was hearing your guys' conversation about that, I was really thinking back to, um, my days at, at the PGA tour, when everybody would come to us, like our sponsors, the people that were buying on the website, buying ads and even, um, tournament sponsors and, and partners. And they'd come to us and they be like, we just want to be in social. And then the sellers would come to us and they'd be like, Hey, you've got to make these like mentions. And I was like, no, no. Cause that doesn't work for me. Uh, that's, that's not the fit of our voice and our tone. And so we instead worked together and I said, here are like 10 content ideas of things that I would absolutely love to do um, for our audience. I know our audience will respond to this. I know that this is going to be a thing that will work and it's a really good, fit. if you can find the right brand to be a good partner or fit for this kind of experience, then let's do it. Like if they say, they come to you and say, I want social, here's your menu. Here's the things that we can do. And I, I don't know that as many brands are thinking about that outside of, because when you take it out of the sports vacuum, it's not a, it's not a common practice, I don't think. And so like you said, you're kind of in this like pitfall of like, do I, create content with BuzzFeed or do I create content with the New York Times or do I just try to create it on my own and, and make it, you know, quote unquote promotional. But I think if you find the right partnership that aligns, whether it's with a a celebrity and an athlete, um, a brand or a media platform that, that does align with that audience, I think there's a ton of opportunities because the people who know that community on that audience the best, they have ideas. So you don't always even have to go to them with those ideas. It's how I actually got to the masters. The first and only time was we did a great partnership with Izod and Izod had a presence in Augusta and they hired us to come up when Google Hangouts was a thing. And we were doing Google Hangouts every week and we produced live Hangouts from Augusta. And I that's my first and only time going to the Masters, right? Because we had the, they wanted to tap into something that we were doing because they knew that that was going to be a better, more organic experience for the audience that they were trying to reach in the golf space at that time. So it can totally work, right? We don't do Hangouts anymore, but we do a ton of live video. Um, so that, I think, there's always opportunities for brands and businesses who, you know, want to take that step and want to have a part in just exploring those partnerships are a good thing to do because you might not have the audience, the reach, the content development in-house, but you might have access to something else that they can they can use to really make that content partnership
1: work. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I, I'm glad you brought up the the episode with Melanie because that was such an eye-opening experience for me because I've been very, I've knocked native advertising uh, a lot. And I think she really helped to reframe the conversation for me because I think what kind of what we're getting at, and I think what you nicely alluded to is that there's this kind of underlying factor that helps to make it either kind of icky or really um, effective. And that is... Authenticity and and kind of like a, tr- a transparency to the process of it, right? So if you're doing it like Facebook, where you've partnered with, I think it's a Daily Telegraph to just write positive stories about you because you need to bury all the negative press, that's a crappy use of, <laughs> of native advertising or brand journalism, right? Like, right. you are totally absolutely agree. trying to tip the scales one way or another. But if to kind of the point of the conversation I had with Melanie, if you're thinking about your brand content as a journalist and bringing that level of thinking and due diligence, Uh, into the picture and you're being transparent about those relationships and you're finding the right partner where the content is simply great content you've brought together, um, you know, the brand that represents it and then maybe the journalism talent that can help to produce that type of content. That's a whole different sort of thing. I think this actually dovetails nicely into the, the kind of last thing I want to talk to you about today. Is influencer marketing. I think the same kind of rules apply here because, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember, again, early social media days, there were people who were influential and there were people who were being reached out for their large Twitter followings and were charging obscene amounts of money to just post a tweet or something like that. And now we've reached kind of like peak Instagram model influencer 2019. And, um, you know, the whole world of influencer marketing it's like the good idea gone bad in the same way that we could probably look at brand journalism versus native advertising in the same way, that if the intention is there to be upfront and honest about what your intentions are and what you're doing and finding the right partnerships and divulging everything and really just being totally open about the whole process, I think something like influencer marketing is exceptionally powerful. There are a lot of brands that I love. Puma could basically sponsor me and I would gladly, I would, I'd talk about them regardless, but like right. Puma came to me and they were like, yo, you're getting a free pair of sneakers every three months. I'd be like, I will talk about you on every episode of shareable. <laughs> Puma, if you're listening, this is, this is my call to you. Um, right.
2: um I also just currently wearing my Pumas. Um, so you can,
1: we are soul system. Some of that that love right here. <laughs> you got two takers here, Puma. But I guess the point is that like I authentically love that brand. So for yeah. them to come and reach out to me and form an arrangement with me, even if it was paid or not, the, the truth is everybody knows I wear bright red pumas. That's my thing. So that's real, that's authentic. But like when you have someone like Kim Kardashian who's like, you know, Hawking TurboTax, I don't know if that's a thing, but it wouldn't surprise me if it was. It's like, look, Kim, you're not an accountant, you're not a tax professional. Why are you talking about TurboTax? This is a weird connection. Um, so I I think we've kind of gone off the rails. Do you have any sense, uh, or or I guess do you have any optimism that we're going to be able to write some of these ships? I mean, we've we've kind of touched on a lot of different places here, but the algorithm favoring, uh, you know, hot content that's potentially negative or spreading misinformation because it's got a lot of engagement. We've got influencer marketing. We've got brand journalism, or in I guess more appropriately, native advertising, where there's this major push for businesses to act without any emotional intelligence. They just want to check the box and pay for it and aren't worried about being unethical at all so that they can get their message across. And this is what's layering over the kumbaya of 2008 social media. Are you optimistic that we can turn any of this around? Regulations, breaking up Facebook, any of that, is there anything that can be done? Or is it just that you kind of have to take the opportunities that you have right now, do the best that you can, operate up front, and and just try and day in and day out do the best you can?
2: All right. So my kind of motto for the year has been social media realist or realism. And I think exactly what you just said, right? There's there's still that kumbaya feeling. I mean, we've waxed eloquently about the good old days of social, but also faced kind of those harsh realities and discussed that in this episode. And so, you know, I've really decided to kind of take the glossy mask off this year and say, you know, honestly, social media sucks. And I've had a lot of people, a lot of brands that we're working with are coming to me for the first time ever and saying, you know, we're just getting started in social media. We've had a page, but we've never had a strategy. We're just kind of posting half hazard content. And we really want to be smarter about what we're doing, more intentional. We want to, you know, probably to see better ROI, but also to, to make sure that, you know, what they're doing makes sense to the whole, the whole business in the bottom line. And so on one hand, I'm like, okay, this is great. All of these companies that have been in, you know, slow to move industry, um, or haven't taken social media as seriously in the past, you know, we're, we're over a decade in, in quote unquote, professional social media for business. So, um, you know, so I can see that. And I wanna help them and I wanna get them going and I want them to do organic and I want them to do community management and have that paid, you know, piece to to augment them and I want them to break through the clutter and, and all of these things and create good content. But honestly, no. Like social is just one piece of that brand puzzle anymore. And like you asked, if is it going to get better? It's only gonna get better if we Continue to evolve in how we're using it. So, if you think of social as like your ride or die, you're not going to make it better. It's not going to work for you. Um, it's just not like a brand's got to have other distribution. You've got to have some owned audiences, whether in, they're in communities or they're in email programs or mobile programs or WhatsApp chats, you know, that kind of thing. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, I think like, <clears throat> in the view of is social media real, realism is we're kind of where we're at because, um, you know, that's that's the path that we've all been put on, right? From the Zuckerbergs on down, from, you know, the average user and just being able, to, you know, being tolerant of the crap. You know, we're very tolerant of crap. Um, and so be, this is kind of where we gotten to in this stage of we're not seeing empathy is not winning over trolls, at all, in all cases. And, um, community is not winning over crap marketing in all cases, but I think it's on us, right? Whether you're a social media OG, you're just getting started to use the platform and to really vote with your time and your attention. So stay on the platforms that are most concerning, you know, that are most relevant to you, connect with the people that you want to connect with in the ways that you want to connect with. And if that means deleting Facebook from your phone or spending more time in one-to-one messaging apps, like go do it. Because as the audience, we're going to vote with our time and our attention and the platforms will, will, act accordingly, right? They're going to move accordingly. It's why everybody jumped on the Snapchat stories and messaging bandwagon and and stole what they have, right? And you alluded to that earlier of, of the companies themselves, the platforms themselves kind of all becoming homogenous and all kind of looking the same and feeling the same. It's probably why I do respect Twitter a little bit more in today's age is is they really haven't given up the core of their platform and and what makes them different. Um, The day that Twitter launches stories is probably the day that I stop using Twitter because it's just not what that is for me, right? I can create stories in 140 characters, now 280 characters in a way that I've been telling stories for 12 years on Twitter. You don't have to give me a super cool camera that's vertical with some stickers to make me feel like I need to use Twitter more. And so again, voting with our, with our time and our attention is going to be the only way that we can influence that. But if you are running a brand, if you are doing social and content marketing, then you can also strive to be better and get that return, um, in a way that, that really makes sense to you.
1: I agree with you 98%, except I do think that a stories platform on Twitter would be cool. I just think they can't copy the exact stories platform, which is the thing that's actually kind of confused me why everyone has done the exact same stories platform. Here's mm-hmm. what I think. I'm just going to, this is my little quick rant about. Go for uh, it. Twitter's my favorite, but let me run ideas past you. So I think that one of the beauties of Twitter is obviously the real time aspect of it. But what I would love to be able to see is more of a, I think Facebook, in kind of mimicking a blog archive with the timeline format, had a good idea there. I think they just rolled it out really crappy. But you know how you can download an archive of your Twitter? So I do that every few months. I download an archive of my Twitter and then I put it on my own server. And if you if you actually go to jeffgibber.com slash tweets, you can see the most recent archive of all of my tweets. And I think that's really cool because you can go month by month all the way back and just click to it and, or search in it. And I think that's awesome. I think what would be really cool if Twitter were to do a stories platform is to allow you to actually create a series of stories and then store them almost like Instagram highlights are, where you have a day's worth of video that's just one post in your stream of things. So if you went back, you could actually look at a one particular day. It goes from like 12 a.m. to 12 a.m. basically. Mm -hmm. And that's when you can add stories to it. And they would just be individual things as one tweet. And they basically just get published throughout the day. And then it, it kind of stores as an archive of that. And then it doesn't get deleted like all of these other... That's the thing I don't understand. Why the hell would you invest any time in something that disappears? That's <laughs> the only thing I've ever heard. And I still believe that. And it's still a thing I had a problem with Snapchat about is you can't convince a business, yeah, you're going to invest time and money in creating these really awesome videos. They'll be gone tomorrow. It just makes sense. Right. So yeah, it doesn't idea. make a it sense.
2: sense. So actually, while you're saying that, um, I think Twitter moments are actually halfway there.
1: Yeah, I agree with you. I think they're close. They just are not making it easy enough to add to it and not easy enough to access them. But I completely agree with you.
2: Yeah, and that I think is Twitter's Achilles heel is that they've always had these great underlying features. They've listened to the community or they've built neat features, but they don't make them like easily accessible and intuitive for the users. So like Twitter lists. Yeah, Yeah, Twitter lists is absolutely one of the best things um, you know, that they could have created and it's been around forever and people still don't use them, um, to a way that, that they could, because Twitter doesn't make it easy to access your list, to search through your list, to see the tweets. Like it's not, you can't just pin those unless you're using TweetDeck, and they've made it all but impossible yeah. to use TweetDeck.
1: I'm, I'm so, going to post that in the show notes of this episode. I'm going to post, I wrote like a, it was like a 7,000 word post. I think it was, there was just a rant about everything that's wrong, not wrong with Twitter, but like here's everything <laughs> Twitter can do to improve. And one of them was this like moments stories kind of idea. I think I even said like fix moments and make it this. And yeah. then I had an idea for hash chat, which would just be like a standalone app where it would be like tweet chats where you could yes, just-
2: absolutely. Because yeah. that's another one. Everybody loves Twitter chats. It's a great way to, again, connect with people, build community, create common interests and shared things around a platform it's so freaking hard to yep. do, especially yep. for someone who's never done it before and is just trying to play with it.
1: Yep. I already spec'd all these things out. I'm going to send it over to Twitter. I actually tweeted it to Twitter. Jack never got back to me. But anyway... <laughs> but- You've been a phenomenal guest. I love talking to, you know, people who are in my industry who know what the hell's going on because you know how it is. You meet so many people in our industry and like 60% of them at least are just completely full of crap and don't have any idea what they're doing. They're just like, I use Facebook. And it's really nice to talk to another professional that like has their head on straight. And I really appreciate you. Um, Thank you. I have this section of the show called shareables and it's just a rapid fire couple questions that, um, I'm sure you know about cause you've listened to the show, but I want to get, uh, your shareables. You ready for them?
2: Oh, I might be.
1: Ah, uh, you're ready. I have faith in you. Okay. What's one book. Every person should read.
2: Um, probably today, uh, I'm looking at my list of books on the shelf and I'm stalling for time. <laughs> I think, um, actually I think Jay's hug your haters is just an amazing book especially for anybody in this industry because it's not a, it's not just about being on twitter it's about being a real person in whatever medium and talking to a real person. So I just find so much value and I always go back to hug your haters is is something and the close second is probably utility um also a jay bear book because yes. it's it's so practical so practical and foundational of you know we talked about content being the foundation of social and I'm creating content that's useful. No one will ever turn away from that. So I love, you know, I think Jay is a great guy. I think he's a great author. Um, So Utility and Hug Your Haters are probably two on my shelf that I always always reach for.
1: Solid, okay, what's your favorite podcast? You can't say Shareable, because we already know that it's like one of your favorites.
2: Right, Um, I have a handful of podcasts, but in the interest of self-interest, I'm gonna say, um, I'm actually launching a podcast. Uh, It's called Mom Buns, it's totally not social media, related at all. It's me and my friend, my best friend from college reconnected. Um, and we're like, gosh, you know, it's part girl chat, part therapy session and lots of stories of our kids. And it's like 20 to 30 minutes. Um, we're just now launching it. It's called mom buns. And you know, it's, it's, I'll do it even if no one listens, because uh, just having the chance to talk to someone who I love that much, um, and, And we can relate to uh, so easily is great. So mom buns, that's my plug. Um, I also every day listen to Up First, um, the NPR one, because it's a really good synthesis of of what's happening in the world. So those are not great answers, but that's just two that are top of mind right now.
1: They're wonderful answers. Okay. What's one application, mobile or desktop, that everyone should go and download and you cannot say Evernote? (laughs)
2: I cannot say Evernote. Um, mm-hmm. Mobile or desktop? Oh, and now I'm going to scroll. This is a hard one. I would probably say FaceTime. Yeah, okay. like, or some sort of FaceTime, like WhatsApp, like that messaging, but also has that video component to it. Because I think video technology and the the ability to be literally with somebody and see their face um, is one of the most like amazing things that we have at our fingertips today.
1: Crap. I'm really mad that we didn't do video today, then. All right. Well, okay. What is one? uh, What is the most important skill of the future? You can't say empathy.
2: (laughs) Um, Well, empathy would be really, really, really good. Um, I have three kids. So I probably think about this a lot of like, what is the thing that I want to teach them the most? And I think um, tolerance is actually. It's, it's close to empathy, but tolerance, just being able to understand somebody's point of view. And even if you don't agree with it, um, you know, be tolerant of it because there's a lot of different people in the world. There's a lot of different choices being made and you don't have to agree with it, but you've got to respect
1: it. Love it. If you could have one superpower, what would it be? Or you could choose one superhero or supervillain's entire set of powers. If
2: I had a superpower, it would be apparition for exactly the reason why I said that the FaceTime video chat thing is my favorite because I have lived in a lot of different places around the country and um, in a couple of different countries actually. And the power to be like just to go and sit with somebody, be with somebody, give them a hug, sit with them during a hard time or celebrate a moment with them in an instant, I think that that would just be you know, the most amazing
1: thing. What was the word you said? Apparition?
2: Apparition, which okay. is like a Harry Potter superpower.
1: Yeah. It. So it's like teleportation, but different.
2: Yeah. It's like, yeah. Similar,
1: similar but different.
2: Okay, but you cool. You need to read Harry Potter. <laughs> I,
1: I've never read it. My, my wife keeps telling me that I need to read the books, but I still haven't. Yeah. All right, so it's like right. teleporting. Yeah. All right. So last question. This is the important one. They're all important, but this is the most important one. Uh, what's one thing that everybody listening to this episode should go and do today? It has to be something that they can go and do today.
2: If you are a Twitter user, go on Twitter and find a handful of new followers or people that you want to connect with and reach out to them. Send them public tweets or private tweets that say, hey, I really like X, or I want to, you know, I wanted to tell you this. Um, And if you're not on Twitter, find someone that you care about and write them a note, pick up a phone or send them a text that says, I'm proud of you. I love you, whatever, because life is just way too short. And we miss so many of those moments. And if we don't prioritize them, um, you know, there's opportunities for regret. And that's one of the things I try hardest not to have.
1: Absolutely. Love it. All right. Where can people go and be social with you? Now's your chance to tell people what you're working on, where they can go to get involved and how they can help you.
2: Okay, great. Um, I am on the socials as Lauren T, letter T, uh, Teague, my last name. And I'm sure Jeff will put that in the show notes. So Twitter and Instagram there. I also, I dropped MomBuns, is mombuns.life on Instagram, on Facebook, and on the web. And that's what I've been working on. I'm also appearing at several uh, digital summits. The, or across the country this year doing social media masterclasses and, um, and giving talks on using social, um, for better, for better outcomes. And, uh, the last place you can find me is on the convinceandconvert.com website and blog. Uh, not only do we do the consulting, I also get to contribute research reports and blog posts to the convince and convert, Convert blog, which is one of the world's best content marketing blogs. So um, you can find me in all those places. But honestly, I'd love it the most if you just send me a tweet to say hi.
1: Awesome. This has been so much fun. There's so much good information in here. I think everybody listening to it should probably tell somebody about it, which I guess would make this show shareable. Yeah.
0: Wait, the show's not over yet. I have some important announcements. If you made it this far, you're clearly a dedicated fan or you're in the middle of vacuuming and just haven't hit stop on your podcasting app. Whatever the case, we want to thank you. We're not just music to your ears, we're music to your inbox. If you subscribe to our email list at shareablepodcast.com slash subscribe, not only will you get access to our private Facebook group, you'll also get all of our blog posts, newsletters, special announcements, and more. You won't find any of that in your podcast feed. You can follow the show at shareable underscore pod on Twitter and just shareable podcast on everything else. You can find Jeff online at jeffgibber.com and you can connect with me on Twitter at Caroline Sohn because I don't have a website yet so go ahead call us leave a message subscribe to our list leave a rating review us on itunes tell a friend tell your mom if she's like my mom she'll love it and now for the thank you portion to all the folks that make this podcast possible shout out to dj quads for the use of our theme song always and a Hamitsu for the use of our outro song adventures and a big thank you to ray bueno for all of that sexy production value